How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. And before we get into uh, the topic, I mean, Princeton, Princeton men's basketball. I mean, come on now. We've all grown up around, you know, Princeton basketball and back in the day with Pete Carrill, and they just don't go away. They just always seem to adapt. They, they always have guys who can shoot pretty good from the outside. Guys know how to rebound. They don't make mistakes. And, yep, here is Princeton every year. I, I can't imagine how challenging it must be for the opposing coaches that the Tigers face. Oh, my gosh, I don't want to – I'll take on anybody, but I don't want to have to face Princeton in the March Madness because they're just so smart, so well-coached, and so talented. And, yep, here we are, Princeton. It's on its way. So we'll see what happens uh, in this version of – March Madness with the Tigers, but it is fun to watch, no question about it. Okay, uh, look, let me be let me be candid with you, uh, because something weird is going on in youth and amateur sports, and I honestly don't know how to say that more than more bluntly that I have. But my sense, my gut, tells me that youth sports and what they stand for in this country are beginning to go in a much different and much unexpected direction. And that, that's disturbing to me, and it should be disturbing to you as well. And look, we understand about change. Change is all part of life. We get that. And as sports parents, part of our jobs is to teach our kids about the essence of change and how change affects their lives and their sport. And I'm not saying that the change is, is good or bad. It just is. It exists. And we have to make our children understand that the concept of change in sports, if they don't, well, the truth is their athletic career could be a lot shorter than they ever expected. But the good news is that when it comes to kids, well, they tend to be a little more accepting to change in sports than perhaps we are. Okay, let, let me be more specific and, and not talk to you at 35,000 feet. I get that. But I'm telling you, there's something going on here, and there's something happening in these incidents in the world of, of college and high school sports that I, they're beginning to catch my eye, and probably you as well. And I wanted to share these with you to see if you felt that these, these incidents were handled correctly 
and whether, you know, why, why this happened in the first place and, and why are we even talking about it. And let me just say up front that both of these incidents involved head college coaches who happened to be women. These are individuals who were experienced, respected, successful as coaches at the D1 level. And yet, as these two stories were being reported, I, I, I didn't know how to react. And remember, like yourself, I follow sports pretty closely. So anyway, if you would, let me, I'm going to tell you these shortened media accounts on these two incidents. And I want you to tell me what should take place here in terms of appropriate punishment or maybe no punishment at all. And maybe that's the real issue, that no one at the top knew what should be done involving these two head college coaches. Because I'm looking for a sense of reaction here. Should something been done? Or is this just a sort of a snapshot of big-time college coaching? One of happens to be ice hockey, one happens to be lacrosse. So we acknowledge it and we just move on? Is that what happens here? Now, in fact, you shouldn't do that, coach. You shouldn't allow that kind of stuff to take place with your kids at, at the D1 level. I'm looking for a general reaction here because, again, nobody has any stats. Nobody has any anecdotes. Nobody has any real numbers. It's just it's weird these two things happened. And it was acknowledged, but nothing really happened. 877-337-6666. This first article ran a few weeks ago, I believe, in the Boston Globe. And it focused on the longtime women's ice hockey coach at Harvard, Katie Stone. Coach Stone, who I will tell you I do not know at all, well, she's been at Harvard since the mid-1990s, and her list of accomplishments as the head coach there, well, I tell you, it's, it's spectacular. Lots and lots of Ivy League championships, dozens of All-American players, great student-athletes, and so on. Coach Stone's record at Harvard pretty much speaks for itself. And yet, this article did not focus on the positives. It focused on the so-called underbelly of the Harvard women's hockey program and how the players felt when they couldn't, they found they couldn't communicate with the coaches. Or they didn't feel that some of the exercise routines and drills were appropriate. Or that it was difficult to get to see the head coach for whatever reason. And as a result, very quietly, a number of top hockey players had quietly left the team. There didn't seem to be any real explanation as to why uh, this was happening. It just was happening. The second article focused on the former women's head uh, lacrosse coach at Colgate University. Many of the accusations, which I found extraordinary, that came from the Colgate lacrosse players were very similar to what the Harvard hockey players were saying, that the practices were too demanding um, in terms of time and effort. The coaches were just too tough on the kids. I mean, this was a D1, uh, you know, um, program with a big emphasis upon winning. And they, the coaches felt that that's their job. We are here, you are here at Colgate to play lacrosse, and your job here is to win lacrosse games. That was, a, that was this, the mindset. Now, the Colgate University women's lacrosse coach, Kathy Taylor, who was involved in all this, well, she, she did things that, you know, maybe 20 years ago people wouldn't have paid much attention to, but now they do. Amongst the various uh, charges that she, Coach Taylor, ridiculed her players over their weight. He, she dismissed uh, their mental health concerns 
pushed them to play through injuries that shortened their careers, and on and on. And this is this is stuff that was all basically written up in various accounts. In short, more than 20 players have left the Colgate uh, lacrosse program um, in just the last four years. 20 is a lot of players. Now, some players said that they were pushed out by, by Coach Taylor, who was apparently a legendary figure in upstate New York lacrosse circles. Um, she's been very much involved and very successful coaching college lacrosse there. But whatever happened at Colgate, when she became the head coach there uh, not that long ago, she and her players were not connecting on the same wavelength. So these are concerns. In other words, in both programs, in both of these programs, one was for ice hockey, one was for lacrosse, the head coaches made it absolutely clear that their college team was going to be devoted to winning. And that, that, that theme was pretty much clear in both of these various articles. And yes, there were kids who did get physically hurt or got bored with the sport or wanted to do something in college besides play, play hockey or, or, uh, or lacrosse. Now, this is all true. In college athletics, male and female, there are lots and lots of top athletes who decide for whatever reason that they're going to walk away from their sport. But here's, here's to me is the irony in all this, which I think is kind of, I'm not sure many people talk about or even want to talk about it, but it, it should be pointed out. Here is the irony that all these kids at Cornell and at Harvard, they absolutely loved playing hockey or lacrosse. But in college, especially at the D1 level, and we've talked about this endlessly on the show, ice hockey and lacrosse, I mean, that's like, that's like playing a full-time sport or you have a full-time job. It's not like high school. It's a full-time job. That includes long, long practices starting around early uh, September or Labor Day. goes through the entire rest of the year. Sometimes uh, you, you go on this with your practice sessions at long after the season into late spring. And at some point, you, as a college player, you're going to have to confront and figure out what is your top priority in college. Yeah, you may be one of the coach's favorite players, but that very same coach, you got to look around and say, well, she's got two or three other players right behind me who also are very good. And quite frankly, that's how the coach has built a sense of, of depth in order to win, by basically having a real thick uh stacking system of players who are there to play the sport. I'm not sure I'm explaining this correctly, but my point is that every kid sitting on the hockey bench or the cross bench had to put in endless hours just to be on the team, even though he or she may never get into a game. And I think too many moms and dads never really spend much time in reading the short bios that run in the program of each college team. Every kid, every kid, not just a few, but every youngster who is listed well, they have a long, long list of what they've accomplished in high school or prep school before ending up at that college. And again, it's not just a few kids. It's every kid on the team. They are all terrific. And it's the coach's job. It's the coach's job to then figure out the best players, then to coach them to make sure that all the kids on the team are relatively happy. I mean, it's as simple as that. That's what it boils down to. But the coaches again, see this differently from the, from the players themselves. The players say, hey, you recruited me. I was excited to go to your school, but now that I'm here and putting unbelievably long hours, I, I, can't, I can't seem to have a chance to, to, uh, to make, get any playing time. That's a real problem. And again, from the coach's perspective, that's not their problem. 
Their job is to try to win games, and I have enough personnel here and players with talent that I can make this happen. And that's that's what they're concerned about. So there's this mis, there's always been this sort of like misunderstanding, for lack of a better word, between what the players expect and what the coaches and what's expected of them. And I think that's why we get these articles now where kids who are talented and who love their their sport of of lacrosse or they love their sport, you know, of of ice hockey, and saying I. I don't think this is going to work out for me. And you're seeing these kids either walking away from the school, walking away from the team, transferring out, whatever they're doing, but they're not happy about it. And I fear we're going to see more and more of these kinds of articles going to pop up and more of these complaints. And the question I have for you today is, why should this even exist? Why can't coaches and the players sit down and talk this through? Why can't why can't a coach tell a kid that, you know, I really think you're a great person and you're wonderful to the team here. I just don't think you're getting much playing time. I mean, I, it, I, that sounds like it's absolutely something that most coaches would not say to a player, but maybe they would. I just don't know. But these articles are terrifying because it sort of signifies to the, the reader that the coach doesn't really understand what you know, her role is with the team and the players don't understand what their roles of the team. And that doesn't make for a happy situation. All right. I'm going to talk about this today. I have other topics as well. We'll get as well, uh, but I do think this is something I want to talk about because I do think this is so the first sign I've ever seen where you had not one, but two independent columns talking about the role of coaches, particularly women in college sports. All right. Let's take some calls after the break. 877-337-6666. That's a number. I'll talk to you after this timeout. Welcome back here to the Sports Edge, everyone. We're talking this morning about a couple of unusually uh, and, quite frankly, successful college coaches and how they've treated their players in recent time. And I, I just talked before about the longtime Harvard women's ice hockey coach. Uh, and even with a star-studded resume over the years, it's been a, a recent article where a number of, the, of her players – uh, either quit or had concerns about their mental health or just felt the coaching staff was not paying attention to them. And then I had another article that came my way, which is very parallel regarding uh, the former head coach, uh, head lacrosse coach, a women's uh, team at Cornell, um, who had great credentials as well, great success as a player, but she wasn't connecting to her team in recent years. And eventually, a lot of the players at Cornell decided to leave. They didn't think the coach related well to them. Um, they weren't. Uh, res- she wasn't responsive, and so on and so forth. So the question is, what's happening here? Is this this something that didn't exist 10, 15, 20 years ago, and now apparently it's becoming very much involved in taking foot all over the country? Yes, there's been some connection to mental health issues. I understand that. I'm sure we all do. But there's something going on here where the coaches are seeing their sport that they work on differently as from the way the kids who were recruited and how they go about their work. And I just, the reason why I'm going to talk about this today, and I'll get to your calls in a second, is because, quite frankly, uh, this this is, it's so unusual for me to even think about this because when, when I was in college, and again, that wasn't that long ago, but I mean, it, it was just different. I mean, I, I, um, I can very vividly recall having a very close friend of mine uh, who was a, Again, this is, again, when I was in college, and again, that was several years ago. But this guy was a big, solidly built kid who was the perfect size as an offensive guard. And just like everybody else on the Harvard football team, my buddy's uh, high school yearbook, uh, you know, carried all the accolades, the honors, the All-State, the New York State All-Star teams that this kid had won when he was in high school. 
I'm telling you, this is this is quite quite a quite a resume. But here's the kicker: my buddy, my buddy in college, who's my age, my year, he never missed a football practice. He always stayed late uh, to afterwards to watch uh, tape. Never complained to the coaches about playing time or the lack thereof because he never got into a game. He was always there at every practice, every game. And then when he did graduate, the bottom line is that, uh, yeah, he had never missed a practice or a game, even though he never, ever got into a game. And no, he was not, it wasn't like he was untalented or just a, some sort of charity case. No, this kid was a legit player. Absolutely certain that he was recruited. He could have played someplace else, but he wanted to go to Harvard. And that's how the whole thing played out. And that's just what D1 college football was like back in the day. You went to every practice, every video session, along with all of your teammates, but there's never any guarantee that the coaching staff is ever going to speak to you or give you a pat in the back. And yes, there were other kids in the football team who never got on the field either. But that's how college football was played back then. I'm not talking about the 1890s. I'm talking about the, you know, 1970s and 80s. That's just, that's the culture of the game. So now we have a situation with these two women head coaches, and it's a little different. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts as to what has happened here, what, what's happening, what's, the, what, what's the, the significant shift in all this. And I'm curious as to how you make of this and what should be done, or just let it go. All right, let's go. 877-337-6666. That's our number. Let's go over to, um, let's go over to Jack uh, over in Farrell and Jack Smithland. Jack, good morning. You're first up on the fan. How you doing, Rick? Um, you know this is this is a this is a, a very interesting uh, topic to me because um, I'm, you know as you know I'm I'm coaching at uh, New Jersey City University and you know I am an old I am an old school coach trying to coach in new times you know in different yep. times and my situation is this that you know we just took an ethics class on you know. With, with gender identification and what to be called and how to react and how to treat. And it's, 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 you know, these two coaches, I don't know if they're old enough to be considered old school, but you know, it's, it's, it's a tough time because you can't touch, you can't, you can't, you know, we're even told what to call the, you know, the women. I mean, you can't even call them women anymore. You can't call them ladies. You got to call them, you know, them and, and they, and, and it's a tough time right now. And these coaches probably live this style of coaching for many, many years. And they, you know, and now because the times are changing, they're not changing with it and you have to change with it. You know, I'm lucky enough to be, I'm lucky enough to be coaching with uh, Ashley Martinez, she's yep. very young. She's with all these movements and all this, all this, all the woman, you know, um, advocates and everything about Title IX, and you know, and 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 this does, this is part of Title IX. Even though there are coaches at the male level that treat their kids the same way, you know, you got the Bobby Knights and and coaches like that. But you know, these coaches should be reprimanded. They should be punished. Okay, they should be, um, you know, I, I don't know if they should be removed, but they're 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 reacting inappropriately to women that do not deserve to be treated the way they're being treated. All right, let me stop and, you there, Jack. Hold on, let me stop you there because you sort of got right to the ahead. middle of this. Yes, uh, there is 
an age differential. Uh, clearly, uh, the, the kids who are playing, in your case, obviously, uh, college softball right now, they, they, they've grown up on a different cultural uh, surrounding than perhaps you grew up in. Um, and the question Definitely. is now, you mentioned that you're getting at the D3 level, you're getting, I don't know, scripts or reminders or emails. Who, who is that? That's coming from the administration? Is that coming from the school? No, it's coming, it's coming from the state. It's coming from our administration. Our school is very on top of stuff like this. They are very supportive of movements if the movement is right. You know, I mean, New Jersey City University has more support programs than they have athletic programs. Uh-huh. And, and, and the situation there is these are tough times right now, and they're tough times because of how things are changing. You know, I can't I, – it's not that I can't. You should not or you're not supposed to. You know, when you're going to talk to a girl or one of your players, you can't put your hand on their shoulder anymore. You can't pat them in the back because they did well. You know, you can't hug them after a victory. Yep. And, you know, and, and, and at New Jersey City University, and I want to say this because I'm very proud of this, is that we look at the, we look at the athlete, the student-athlete, as a person first. Not as a student, not as an athlete. They come to us as people, and we have to treat them accordingly. We have to understand that the most important thing in their life right now is they're happy in what they're doing, okay? They're comfortable in what they're doing, and they're comfortable with who they're doing it with, all right? When I recruit a kid, the first thing I tell them is this. Here's a checklist that you have to follow. And number one on my checklist is you better know your coach and you better love your coach and they better love you because if they don't and you don't, you're yeah. going to have a very tough time. Well, you're that's have a very tough time. Yeah, and of course, a lot of kids, the kids don't even hear that. They're not paying attention or their parents aren't. No, not but, at all. But, you know, typical situation here. I don't, I don't have all the details of what happened at Cornell or at Harvard, but I can assure you, and this is something Was I don't, it Cornell or Colgate? I'm sorry, it was Colgate, excuse me. It was Harvard and okay. Colgate. Um, but okay. I, what I'm saying, these are all prestigious schools. The fact is, and I don't think our parents understand this, that if you're running a top D1 program, lacrosse, hockey, whatever, you're always going to over-recruit because you don't know at the very last second how many of those kids you, you recruited are going to say, you know, coach, thanks, but I'm going someplace else. So you right. always have, yeah. have to have a, have a kid's back up. You need somebody to be a backup, number two in the depth chart, three, uh, a third in the depth chart. Because if you don't, you're going to have problems during the course of the season. But for some reason, that reality, which is a cold, hard reality, that's, that's something that, that uh, all the coaches know, but too few of the athletes know. So the athletes might say, I don't understand. I'm better than the kid who's playing ahead of me. But I, I right. always well, might go, try to go to the coach and say, what do I have to do to get better or to get, get more playing time? They don't want to talk about that stuff with me. I mean, it's, this is all part of the same problem, that there's no lack of true communication. And I think by the time a kid is in college, um, you know, especially now with the transfer portal, we think that a coach would say, here's where I see where you are. I think you could be a pretty good contributor, but I'm not, I'm not sure you're going to be good enough to be a starter. I don't know. But this is – I think all this lack of communication is all part of this, Jack. It's the fact that people aren't being honest, you know? Let, let me say something, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's a very, very big and important topic to us. I'm the recruiter. You know, Ash, Ashley also recruits too, but she kind of gave me that job. 
and 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 I feel that we've been doing a good job doing it. But when we bring in kids, okay, and 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 I hope my kids are listening right now because they'll attest to this. That I'll tell you that you are to me right now a project. And if you have another school where you feel that you can play automatically right up front, yeah. then maybe that's the choice that you should take. But yeah. if you come to us, here's your job. Your job is going to be, you're going to be a project to us. And you're going to work hard and you're going to earn your position to play. And we will get you playing time. And we've been doing that. But they know what their role is before they ever come to our school. And that's important because, like you just said, without that information, their life can be completely hell. It really no, could. They, they and if they come in and they – go ahead. I said, absolutely, it becomes a, a disastrous because – all they know is that I was recruited. The coach really likes me. Uh, the coach likes all my high school uh, accolades. So why am I sitting on the bench here? They have no idea, and nobody's going to tell them. So it's it's really, it's really a mess, and, and it's a problem. And what, and so, what you just said, Rick, was so important. I'm going to get off for one second because I know that you have a thousand. Yeah, calls I got to get some other calls. This, yeah, on this topic, but. What you just said is one of the topics that we're having a problem with right now. To girls that we've explained it to, they yeah. come up and they say, why am I not playing? Don't ever talk to me about your playing time. Ask me, and you hit it right on the head. You said it. Ask me what I can do to get on the field, not why am I not on the field. Yeah, they okay? don't, but, but and, would, that's, and that's very important. Of course. But who, would, who would know those kids? Uh, even tell them how to do that. Anyway, Jack, thank you for your thoughts, as always. Uh, this, is, this is a nitty-gritty about you know, kids who want to get to the next level. There have been stars in high school. Now they're saying, okay, I want to be a star in college, and I want to get a, maybe a scholarship or a partial scholarship, or I want to get the attention of the coach. And suddenly we're reading articles about how college coaches at Harvard and at Colgate, they're not communicating. They don't see, it. They don't see that job the same way. It is very, very unusual. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six. Let's continue. Let's go over to um. Let's go to Rob. Is in Connecticut. Hey, Rob, you're next up on the hi, fan. Hi. Good morning, Rick. Love your show. Listen all the time. Great. Hey, you know th- this is a this is sometimes I think a pretty polarizing subject, right? Yes. Um, th- this this is a bigger than us. This is a society issue. I think today more than more more than it, and it just trickles down into sports. You know. I, I think society today has sort of created the society and, and our parents today um, sort of have created this, right? We sort of we sort of build our kids up. We live vicariously through them. Um, you know, we, we we put them on a pedestal, um, and then when and then when that when that division one opportunity comes, I, I think some of the kids sort of can't handle the the, the truth of true competitiveness when they sort of have been been propped up all the time. And listen, I'm sure these I'm sure these two coaches, you know, have a have a rigor and, a, and an old school approach. But as far as being, I mean, they're at two of the most prestigious universities. I'm sure they can communicate. I'm sure they're not just summing yes. the kids <laughs> off purposely. And listen, and, and, and parents and students, they have a lot of opportunities today, right? Don't go to those school. Don't go to that school. I mean, if those coaches have been there for a long time, they know the structure of the programs. So make 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 another choice if you think you should, or maybe you shouldn't be a Division One player. Maybe you need to be a Division Three player. You know, again, you you like all the calls this morning. This is really good stuff. The essence here, which again is I don't think is ever discussed, ever, and that is that the coach 
who has devoted, you know, years and years of their life. Uh, and either, you know, he or she has been good at evaluating talent on the team or prospects and so on and so forth. But that's what they do. They evaluate talent as opposed to the kid who was a superstar in her or his or her local high school, won all the awards, and now is being recruited and can't wait to be a starter on the college team. But the college coach looks upon that high school kid and says, well, you know, he or she's pretty good, but, you know, not great, but pretty good. Whereas the kid says, I don't understand, I'm the greatest of all time. And I'm going to be a superstar, and I will be. I win all the accolades when you have me start as a freshman. And that's where the that's where the discrepancies uh, fits in the comes into 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 real fever pitch. Because when the kid gets to the college and starts playing in the fall or at the first you know, tryouts, they begin to realize, you know, I'm pretty good. But there are a lot of kids who are really good. How's the coach going to even know who I am? And that's the problem because you don't have a situation here where somebody is sort of speaking up on behalf of both the kid. And also on behalf of the college coach, the college coach says, I got lots of kids here who can play. She's very good, but she'll be in the mix, but I can't guarantee she's going to be a starter. It's just not the way it works. So I, I think that's, that's the problem, you know? So I, I, I think that is something that, um, uh, you know, this is all part of the whole conversation. Uh, but you know, you, you can't, you can't just let this go and say, um, you know, that's just the way it goes because it's not. Parent, kids today and their parents are now demanding more than ever. They really want to have that, that, that communication line between the coach uh, and the kid uh, pretty much as, as often as possible so the kid knows exactly where he or she stands with the coach. And if things aren't going to work out, well, then basically maybe you should consider transferring someplace else. But right now, we're going not in that direction. We're going in the opposite direction. And I'm not sure that's a good thing. And I, I, again, all the stuff changing now at the college level with NIL and so on and so forth, uh, I just wonder what the heck's going to take place. And these articles bubbling up are beginning to suggest that. All right, let me, let me take another time out. Uh, obviously, I want to talk more about this, get you more thoughts. This is a complicated subject, but we better deal with it now because it's going to have more impact uh, in, the, in the near years to come because it's not going to go away on its own. 877-337-6666. When I return, go right back to the calls. Stay with me. And welcome back to the Sports Edge, everyone. Uh, and, of course, uh, as you know, if you ever want to uh, reach me, because, uh, you know, I always post the uh, upcoming shows on Twitter at Ask Coach Wolf and, of course, my website, uh, which has all sorts of resources and books and references and so on and so forth and blogs. You can always go there at AskCoachWolf.com. Uh, and then very quickly, I know that I was uh, mixing and matching some uh, conversation before uh, between Cornell uh, and, and Colgate uh, with the uh, lacrosse program, but obviously I was talking about Colgate's uh, women's lacrosse program, not Cornell, and I apologize for that, that oversight. Anyhow, um, I, I, I do want to talk more about the situation because things are changing. And, you know, we, we've talked about the fact that, you know, change is not necessarily a bad thing. But when things – usually when change takes place, it's well been mapped out and it's been researched and talked about and discussed and debated. It's different now. Now things are happening sort of like, you know, off to the side and things are changing and kids' lives are being turned upside down and nobody knows what to do about it. And it's weird. It's just unusual. Uh, let's get back to our calls at 877-337-6666. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Ed Ward over in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Ed, good morning. You're on the fan. 
Good morning, Rick. First off, I want to say good luck to FDU uh, in the NBA <laughs> Yes, of I course. To, <laughs> I used to be an assistant baseball coach there in the 80s and 90s, so I'm okay. looking forward to 7.30 night watching the game. Yes, um, good luck to them. One of the things I want to talk about with this is when players are not getting their playing time, uh, and how should they go about it? And for this, this year, I got a few of the kids that I coached last year playing college baseball, and they've had adversity hit them. One player was a first-team All-State player, uh, all-region player by National uh, Baseball Coaches Association. Started at the beginning of the year, got taken out of the lineup. Uh, yesterday, I went to, went to go watch my nephew coach, and I recommended one of your players. He has been he hasn't played much, and you know they're like lost for words. And I I kind of like advise them how to go about it, how to be professional, and and term it the right use the right wording and all that stuff. So, sure. Uh, you know, and again, a lot of kids don't know how to do that. Well, they, 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 how about who? <laughs> yes, who in the who would ever say? To a youngster, well, you had a great start, you had a great career, but you know now you reached a point where you're going to have to sort of figure out a way to get to the next level. And let me give you some advice. It, nobody does that. It just it doesn't present that way. The kid figures, well, I guess that's the end of the road. Nobody's talking to me. I guess I don't want to talk to anybody else. So I should just take my my uh, my pack of accolades and just go off and do something else. But that's 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 what's so vexing. The, the kids don't understand that. Somebody should say to them, "That I know what's wrong here. You know, we can make some progress, but you got to work on changing this, that, whatever." But that doesn't happen. Well, the thing is, Rick, I I stay close to my players that I've coached. You know what I mean? I always tell sure. them, oh, I could I could be a sounding board. I could be your second father or whatever." So they've come to me for advice and how to go about saying it and all that. Okay. And then and then I I tell them, I said, "Look, it's a long baseball season. Things can change. You just got to be ready." You've got to keep working hard, and I even say, in the dugout, you've got to be like Derek Jeter, be the first one out of the dugout to, to uh, root your team on and all that stuff. Because once you change your attitude, you're going to be buried forever. Oh, I'm so, I'm so glad you said that because if a kid starts feeling sorry you know, for oneself and decides, well, I'm just going to you know, cop an attitude and I'll wait till the coach comes back to me, you know, that's never going to happen. <laughs> that's never going to happen. So, Well, you know what's amazing, Rick? They're afraid to talk to the coach. They feel like that they're being like a malcontent. And I said, no, all you're doing is asking what you need to work on and how, how can I get into the line? Yeah, and I, any coach, any yeah. coach that cares about you is going to be honest and upfront and talk about it. But, and this is the significant and important part, the coach, look, the coaches aren't stupid. They know that what's going on. They know that you obviously are no longer, you know, a starter and so on and so forth. So the coach already has a script in mind of what he's going to tell you. But if you go to the coach and say in a very sort of egocentric manner, hey, coach, you know, what do I have to do? I'm, I'm a pretty good ball player. Why aren't I playing? Why, why don't I get more playing time? The coach is going to be immediately very, very res- resistant to that. And it's going to say, well, you obviously put yourself ahead of the team. As opposed to the kid who says, Coach, you know, you know, I, I'm really into this. What can I do during my practice time or on my own that I can really work on certain skills or abilities that might help the team in terms of producing more wins? Make it a well, team it effort. Fun, you know, it, you know. right. It's funny. Yesterday when I was at the game, my, my nephew's game, and I play came up to me. He goes, I don't get enough hitting. I said, let me ask you a question. Who's the hitting coach? 
my nephew. I said, have you gone up and said, can I get some extra swing? No. Well, there. You've got to open your mouth up and say, can I get extra swing? Because he's a catcher. And you know how catchers are, Rick. they got to do a lot of bullpen work to get the pitchers ready, you know? Yeah, of course. But, but your point, I mean, at some point, again, it comes back to, well, you're not in high school anymore. This is college. You're growing up. This is now you're a grown up. Yep. So if this is important to you, then you're going to have to find a way to, to find the courage within your system to go to the head coach or whoever and say, I don't think I'm getting enough extra batting or enough this or enough that. And let the coach know that, yeah, this is a problem because the coach is obviously not aware of it or feels that you don't care about it. But until you have the courage to go explain this to you on your own two feet, then something, things will change. And that's the deal. Let me get some more calls before I run out of time, but thank you for your thoughts as always. Uh, Let's move on to, um, let's go to Ronkonkoma where Eric has been waiting patiently. Eric, good morning. You're next up on the fan. Hey, Rick, good morning. Uh, You know, look, um, just just to touch on this, I I have two kids, uh, one in college now. I mean, neither one are playing sports at the moment, but they did. But uh, they both have anxiety issues, okay? And... You know, the one thing my daughter, who's the older one, told me uh, that she felt, and, and, and I think this is a big correlation here because we're just only a couple of years coming out of the pandemic and everything, she felt like she actually reverted backwards a little bit socially because of everyone being home and, and uh, you know, during the pandemic couldn't do anything and a lot of stuff, schooling from home and all that stuff. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of kids, because she transitioned into college coming out of the pandemic, which I'm sure a lot of this group that you're talking about is probably in that same bubble as well. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of these kids don't know uh, that, you know, uh, either how to handle talking to somebody who's been in a position of authority for many years, you know, uh, there's a disconnect there. And I think, I think one side of the spectrum is moving a little faster than the other and uh, they're not meeting in the middle because of of, of uh, certain circumstances. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Well, it's interesting perception on this, uh, Eric. Because yeah, I mean, we because all of us have sort of watched all this and observed this. I mean, the whole idea of COVID nineteen was something that I mean, gosh, it was it was a total, you know, uh, life changer uh, all around the world. So yeah, there has been some fallback and and pushback and whatever you want to call it. And I think that's possible that kids today who are even more hypersensitive to COVID-19 than perhaps the, the grown-ups are, they've been trying to sort of pick and choose, okay, where where now do I fit into the world? Do I just pick up like nothing happened, or am I more sensitive to things around me, to my friends and colleagues? And I think the kids today are, and they call it hypersensitive, but no, I think they're just trying mm-hmm. to figure out where, where they are. How do I fit into this mess? I didn't ask if the COVID right. to come out. So, so, so you have you have an experienced coach who's been doing this for many years, for for them, it was just like a little rest period. So they, they they have a mindset of how they've done things for many years, and now they're coming across a a bunch of individuals that you know are uh, either uh, again their social skills are a little bit backwards, or they they're used to a lot of attention because they might be uh, uh, dealing with uh, some issues. Um, you know, they, it's just like like I said, I think one side's moving faster than the other, and and they haven't met yet. Like you know, that one yeah. coach. We spoke earlier about taking courses. Yeah. I think that's going to be the thing, the way to go here. So. Well, I, I agree with that. And I do think that there is a lot of um, catching up to do and back and forth. And people are looking for things to calm down. 
I do sense that when we start hearing more of a drumbeat, that maybe the time has come for all of our coaches, uh, varsity, JV, you know, middle school, whatever. The time has come that they really do need to take added courses on the the building of relationships with their players because COVID was brand new. COVID was an outlier. Nobody knew that how, like that stuff. But the more that there's right and. and- yeah, I'm sorry. You know, and you're also coming across as that coach mentioned a lot of different uh, terms that have to go with as well. And this is all happening in in the same time period. So yeah. uh, I, I think I think there's a lot of that. But anyway, I know you have more calls, so enjoy the rest of your day, Rick. Well, thanks, Eric. And and I, I think Eric makes a good point here that. Um, it's really incumbent, and we know that there's no tougher, tougher you know, uh, job in the world than being a, a coach, particularly in this day and age, particularly with all the parents who are, are concerned about their kids' uh, health and welfare, and obviously they want the kids to play, and the kids want to go out and have fun with their friends, but it's just under the microscope, and it's going to be under the microscope for the next several years until we get back to, quote-unquote, a, a normal way of playing sports, but it's going to take a while, and the fact of the matter is, as the parent, you're going to have to basically find your way as best you can without losing your uh, your marbles as you try to guide your youngster through the, the whole thing with COVID and so on and so forth and looking at colleges to go to play ball. It really, to, it really does demand a great deal of time and patience uh, to walk through this because it's, it's sort of really uncharted territory. And you know now, of course, with all the kids today and they got the extra year from the NCAA and, and college coaches are saying, I'm never going to recruit high school kids again because I can recruit kids out of college and transfer portal. It is unbelievable. It doesn't make life any easier. It was really difficult before COVID. Now it's even more complicated because of the impact of COVID. But that's where we're at these days. It's just that hard. And that's why I think we're seeing the college coaches, particularly ones who are you know, pretty successful and established, they don't know necessarily how to react to these kind of these letters or complaints saying, you're not, you're not giving my kid enough playing time or my kid's out of whack there or you don't not, you're not being nice to my kid or my kid can't find time to talk to you. This is, these, are, these are troubling signs here that I would hope that the college coaches would have come to realize on their own that they had to step up and do what they can to make sure every kid on their roster knows, A, you know, why they're on the team, and B, what's expected of them, and C, if there's a problem, then let the coach and that kid talk about it so there's no lingering you know, bad aftertaste. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's where we're at now. That takes, that takes some work. There's no question about it. Let me get some more calls in here. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Michael over in Manhattan. Hey, Michael, good morning. You're on the fan. Morning, morning, Rick. Just quickly. I think COVID also was a time that parents didn't take their opportunity to work with the children, um, impart some skills in them, values in them, you have to do it on your own sometimes. Yes, you know? of course, of course. Uh, and, and that opportunity was not taken advantage of by parents. Um, and I think it's part of the values, you know, study on your own, play, work out on your own. If you're an athlete, study in the classroom. You're not entitled, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the co- there's a couple of mentalities at work. That's the entitlement on the part of the athlete student and the coach with this win, 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 it's not just about win, 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 win. Check in with your players, right? And uh, the last point, Rick, I played varsity basketball at Columbia, and they never promised me anything. I was a starter there, leading rebounder. 
for a year. And when I was recruited, they didn't say, you're going to start. They said, compete. And John <laughs> Calipari says this too. He never promises Kentucky players anything. So uh, those are my points today, Rick. Well, uh, they're, but they're right on target. I mean, look, the, the, the smart coaches, they know, and the smart players know, Nothing is ever guaranteed. It isn't like yes. you, you go to Columbia and they say, oh, by the way, come over here. I'm going to have you sign a sheet, which guarantees you you're going to start every game of the year. That doesn't happen. <laughs> that may happen at other colleges, but it doesn't happen at the real colleges. And the real coaches know that's not the way it's done. But That's this, right. And to come back to COVID for a second, because it was a mess. And if you recall, one of the problems, on the, uh, we talked about this endlessly on this show, is that, you know, well, depending where you were, in the United States, it really had a factor as to whether or not you had to wear a mask or whether you could go out and practice on the, outside in the field or you couldn't play at all. So there was chaos yeah. as to what, well, what, what can we do here in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area? What, but I read kids in Florida are playing outside every day, playing baseball or softball. How is that fair? I mean, nobody can figure out what the hell was going on. So it was hard to have like equal sort of a playing field. And that's a problem. That's a real uh-huh. problem. So anyway, I hear you mm-hmm. loud and clear because if there, if there was no straightforward approach three or four years ago, I'm not sure we've gotten to any straightforward approach now. And that's a problem. You know, th- thank you for your, for hanging on. Appreciate the call. You know, and thank you. You bet. That's again, we can bring a lot of this back to COVID and how the COVID and some of its impact is how it's had an impact on college coaches and how they approach their kids on the team. Kids, many times they've recruited, and now these kids are finding that they go on the team and they're working really long hours because college sports does demand a lot of time. And then the kids are not happy because maybe the coach is not spending much time talking to them or they aren't spending this, that, whatever, and the kids are getting upset. And now they're writing or having these articles written about the, how bad the head college coach is. That's got to stop. That's got to stop real soon, and I do hope that at some point – we get some high-powered national educators saying, no, 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 let's make sure we're all on the same page here. And the way to start to do that is for the coaches, the college coaches, to begin to reach out and to communicate with their kids. Simple as that. That's where it starts, and that's where it really should happen. All right, that's it for me. My thanks this morning to Brian McKeon. Uh, Mark Malusas, he's up next on The Fan. I'll see you next Sunday morning at 8 a.m. right here on Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.